Hey everybody, welcome to the Family Jewels True Crime Podcast. My name is Brian Sobolewski and I am your host, walking you through the five-year period that my father, brother, and I robbed jewelry stores all over New England. Welcome to episode two of season two, Titans Fall. And I gotta tell ya, I'm, I'm scratching my head over this one. I need your help. I need my listeners' help in figuring out whether or not I'm onto something here. Because something doesn't add up. Let me back up. I have a very specific process for how I do these episodes. I sit down and I start with an outline because so much of this is fact. And so much of it is me taking that fact and trying to uh, comb it for the details so that you guys get an ac- accurate depiction of what actually went down. So I'm trying to tell you all sides, which is part of the reason for the inclusion of my father into these episodes. And in this episode, you are going to hear my dad in another call talk about this night in question. And let's call it the night in question because the details aren't in question. Some things that I've always known and haven't really questioned or put up under a microscope yet because they didn't present themselves as an unanswerable detail yet. Does that make any sense? I, I just want to give you the idea that what I'm looking at right now and scratching my head over and what I'm sure you'll scratch your head over is the details in the call with my dad are very distinct. And I don't know that this particular, I don't know that you would have known this particular detail and how it's emphasized without me um, misremembering the facts. Okay. So I have, I have that call. We're going to play that call. And, and a lot of what I'm about to present centers around my dad's tone and his reporting of facts in that phone call. Before we start that, and, and if I'm going to pick up from where I left off at the season ender, the season finale of episode one, episode 18, season one, I'm going to pick up from there where Nancy called me at dawns and told me that my father had just been arrested, which is where I left the episode. I want to try to describe to you what that's like. Up to that point, we were all leading multiple lives, lives that uh, we wanted to keep quiet while we were trying to maintain other lives. I was certainly in the throes of that. I was trying to become the person that I always wanted to be while I was trying to close down and just end the life that I was living with my father and brother robbing jewelry stores. I'm trying to end one life and step into the life that I was supposed to be in. And in that process, dad gets arrested. Right, and, and it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody because, you know, there have been multiple signs along the way that we were on radars and here we are. So to put you in that place, to give you an understanding of what every day of my life became after that phone call, I just want you to think about any time you've blown off a red light. So say you're, <laughs> you're heading towards that light You know, oh, it's yellow, but you're still, you know, a block away from the light and you're still screaming towards no intention of stopping. You know, you're going to blow it off. You know, you got a couple seconds lag time before lights. 
you know you're going to blow it off. That point past that decision, and I don't mean just the decision, I mean the actual behavior. You completed the behavior. You look in your rear view and you look left, you look right, because you're looking to see if anybody of consequence saw you make that decision. That feeling that you had is not unlike you blowing off that red light and a spotlight going right on you. So let's just say, for argument's sake, that you were pulled over. So that momentary light that only would have been on you for a couple of seconds while other motorists saw the bonehead move you pulled, if you just moved on with your life after that, that light's not on you for very long, but you know that feeling. You know that feeling of, oh shit, I just did something that set me apart from the other drivers on this road right now and left me open to being pulled over by police, right? You know this feeling. Let's say you were pulled over. Let's say you blew right by a cop, the cop saw you do it, and he pulls you over. Now you have just prolonged the amount of time that that spotlight's on you. As a matter of fact, you probably intensified the shine. Meaning now you have blue lights behind you and those lights are pointing out the fact that a spotlight is on you and a police officer found it necessary to pull you aside and question your behavior because it was quote unquote criminal. I want you to understand that feeling the entire time you go through that process, however you handle it. And trust me, there's a million books out there on how to how to survive a traffic ticket or not get a ticket in those situations, but you're faced with a dilemma. Now that the light's on you, how do you get it off of you? Right away, once you feel it, and a lot of people will call it heat, right? Oh, the heat's on me. I'm just using a light, which creates heat as, as the same example. But after that phone call from Nancy, that is exactly what your life becomes is constant. I just blew off a red light. As a matter of fact, I've been blowing off red lights five for five years, but what we were doing was essentially akin to blowing off a red light, running over a nun, hitting a baby carriage full of babies and running over a puppy. And then driving away being, oop, hope nobody saw that. So just imagine if you will, if you can take that feeling that you've had blowing off that red light and you know you've done it and transcribe that onto how I was feeling given the fact that, you know, you know the past 18 episodes, what I told you, that's what I want you to try to imagine and try to sympathize with. Because you can't empathize. Empathize is, I've been there before, I know, I know what it's like, but, but, but that will help you throughout this entire season to give you an idea of, of how much of my energy was devoted to the fact that I knew I knew that light was on me and I knew that at any point um, they were going to use that light to pluck me from the world. There's, there's as apt a description of what Nancy's phone call did to me and, and what transpired post-phone call. Now, post-phone call, I'm like, my brain automatically goes into what could this be? I didn't go to, oh shit, jig is up, we're done. I went to, what could this be? And of course, I thought it was the break-in. I thought that they didn't know everything, they must just know about the break-in. 
But my first concern is the stolen stuff that's in the house. The safe downstairs. Nothing of consequence was in the safe upstairs anymore. I don't even know if dad replaced that after the robbery. He just left it there. But we had three duffel bags full of fake brass and glass jewelry that we had taken off of every salesman. We had Robert stuff there. We had the Methuen stuff in there. We had the Littleton stuff in there. I don't know how much of that was traceable back to the actual salesperson or whether or not they could connect that. I'm sure they could. I mean, we're talking about guys that could take a cell of sperm and connect it. You know, CSI is pretty savvy. So we had evidence sitting in the house that I knew I had to make some sort of an attempt to get out of there. And if I couldn't, because at that point, I didn't know whether or not they had been in the house or had already searched it. So at the very least, I needed to get into that house to figure out how much they knew. So the only way for me at this point to determine how much or, or how deep this arrest went or how seriously I should take it was to get into that house and see what they knew. So I got into my car. I told Don, I got to go. I got to figure this whole thing out. I don't know why dad got arrested. I told her, but she didn't know anything about any of the robberies. She was wearing a decent amount of stolen jewelry. But, but as far as what she knew, um, it was nothing. She didn't know anything and I never told her. So I leave the apartment and I go to dad's house. And as I'm pulling into dad's house, now this is a very small street, enough room for two cars. It really wasn't room to park on that street. But there is a police cruiser at the end of my driveway, not in the driveway. I pull into the driveway and act like, you know, I have no idea why there's a cruiser there. I get out of my car and I start walking towards the door and the cop stops me. He gets out of his cruiser. He goes up to me. He says, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I live here. I'm just going into my house. He says, you got any ID? I say, sure. Go back into the car, get my license. I hand it to him. He goes, I can't let in. My license didn't have my dad's address on it. So it had my um, mother's. And he said, uh, I can't let you into the house. I was like, shit. So I leave. Part of that um, confrontation was comforting in that if they were looking for me and this was a large scope investigation, I would imagine I would be handing myself to them. And they, they didn't arrest me at that point. Um, so I left thinking this, this was okay. This was good, a good sign out of a crap load of crappy signs. So I drove back to Don's. As I'm driving back to Don's, so many things are going through my head. I am thinking, A, I got to tell Kev, but I cannot, I cannot go to Kev with just dad's been arrested. Don't know why. Don't know any details. They won't let me into the house. I can't panic him like that because it, that's not good for anybody. So throughout this whole thing, so much of, of our energy went to how is Kev going to react to something and, and how much do I tell Kev based on how I know he is likely to react. So with very little information, I think it's probably a better idea to, to not tell Kev at this point. I go back to Don's and I say, I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea why I arrested them. They're, they're going to 
probably arraign him tomorrow. Um, I had a dilemma, man. Do I go to the court? Do I go to that arraignment? And again, offer myself up potentially, like walk right into them waiting for me because I know if this is large in scope, I'm involved and they're going to be looking for me. They're going to be looking for Kev. I don't, I don't know, again, how deep this goes. So I get on the phone because I got to get into that house. And I can't go into that house. I've already had a confrontation with an officer outside that is going to be reported that I was told that I couldn't go in. So I didn't want to get caught in there again. So I needed somebody else to go in there. And I've told this story before way back in episode four with uh, the Burlington job and the story of the two safes. But it's that second safe I got to get after or at least know if they've been in it. So I call my sister. And God bless that girl. You know, I told her dad was arrested. I told her I didn't know why. I told her I needed to go into the house and get the money that was in the downstairs safe. And I needed everything in that downstairs safe. Or needed to know if there was anything in that downstairs safe. I knew where the combination to the safe was. It was upstairs in my dad's room. Inside the light switch, so she needed a screwdriver. My sister just handled this expertly really didn't expect there to be anything coming home but when she brought everything back and this is what does not up this and I've never it's I've always wondered this because this and a couple other things that transpire changed the perception I previously held of the man that I knew as my dad so my sister brings back $15,000 in cash, small bills. It's impressive as hell. Oh my God. It's the most money I've ever seen in my life. She brings back five diamond rings and one that ends up on Don's finger to be told at a later date. Honestly, you know, I'll tell it to you now. Uh, I put a ring on her finger because I needed an ally. I, I didn't think the cops knew that I was at... Dawn's house. I didn't think they knew anything about me, um, about where I was anyway, because I was in so many places. I figured that he, if I needed to pull the wool over that cop's eyes, what a joke. <laughs> Anything that you do that you think that the cops don't, can't figure out easily is just so silly. It's just so silly. All they really have to do is pull up your phone records and they'll get, they get a lot of information just from who you're talking to, who you're texting. So anything that you think you're going to be able to lie to them about in this day and age just ain't going to happen. But um, I I end up saying to Dawn, I don't know what's going on. My sister comes back with all the stuff, five diamond rings. There's a couple of gold chains, a couple of bracelets, and 15 grand in cash. This, this is where the mystery deepens. Because I had been up, I had had the expectation that that safe was full. That safe should have been bottoming out. We should have had to take shovels to that foundation to pull out the rest of the Sobolewski treasure, right? And is there not 18 episodes worth of jobs? And I'm, me and dad talk about this in the phone call about about half of the jobs that we did didn't yield much. Meaning we probably ended up having to pay people off more than we got from the job in some cases, which really ended up pissing off dad bad. But out of 22 robberies, 11 of them were unbelievable. Again, everyone up to this point, including myself, 
was under the impression that that safe was <laughs> was just overflowing. But that's not what my sister brought to me. Okay? So keep that in mind. Big piece of the mystery and a big piece of the theory that I'm going to present to you that I want you to think about and we're going to try to answer in the rest of this season. Just brings that all back. I now am able to hire a lawyer for dad. So dad will be arraigned the next day and there will be a lawyer there present for him. I talked to one on the phone and he needed seven grand up front. So I was going to send Jess to the arraignment. And at that point, I didn't know whether or not they knew who Jess was. So I thought it was probably a good idea to keep all family out of it. So when Dawn suggested that she go to the arraignment and give this guy the cash, I said, okay, because I didn't think anyone knew who Dawn was. So the next day, still haven't called Kev. Still haven't talked to Nancy again. I am waiting to find out what I can from this arraignment before I start reporting any information to anybody else. Because it's not really worth it to anybody to call them up and be like, I don't know, but hey, how you doing? Because everyone's doing crappy until they know. I take off from work the next day because there's no possible way. I'm going into Brookside Hospital and treating people with addiction while I have the spotlight on me. That feeling is, uh, it changes you. It changes, and I will give you multiple examples of things that happened in my work at Brookside that caused me to act a very particular way, very suspiciously, because I didn't, I couldn't tell what was real. I couldn't tell if a regular phone call was a, a real person or it was the cops trying to figure out where I was. The paranoia... I know it's been done to death. You guys understand that when you're under that suspicion, you get the idea that it psychically burns up and, and there's enough podcasts out there that deal with this, but I'm trying to get you to the actual feeling. I want you to feel the actual feeling and the spotlight's the best way that I can portray that for you. Um, and it prompted me to say, hey, I'm not going to go. I, I didn't want to be a hypocrite because I think adding hypocrisy on top of that feeling made me just completely ineffectual at anything. I just couldn't function until I had more information. And again, just intel is worth 10 times its weight in gold because at the very least, it provides you with a peace of mind that you know no other situation can. So without all the previous intel of all the previous robberies coming in from Bill, it, it, it's immeasurable the amount of calmness that provides in an already an already um, arousing situation. So don't go to work the next day and wait patiently for Dawn to come back and tell us what the fuck is going on. While that's happening, the early morning news reported that they perp walk my dad. For those of you that don't know what a perp walk is, that's when they take you handcuffed and shackled from the Nashville Police Department into your van that's going to take you to uh, court. Or they film the walk from the van into the courtroom. 
This they did from the Nashville Police Station because they it was on camera, and I think that's how they planned it. And they planned the perp walk. But it's just so interesting because it's such a shit show because during the perp walk, my dad's face was covered with a jacket. My dad's lawyer didn't cover his head with a jacket because my dad's lawyer was sitting at court waiting for him with $7,000 in his pocket that Don gave him. So they hadn't even met yet. So why do they cover your head during the perp walk? Let's say they don't cover your head and they say, this man was just arrested in connection with blah, blah, blah. Well, everyone in the world that's ever pulled a fake blah, blah, blah is going to call up and say, that's the guy that did it. So to perp walk him and show that face is essentially opening him up to, to being accused of that by everyone who's ever had it done to him. So... It, it interesting, right? So why perp? Why why perp walk a mummy? It was a badge of honor to the police and especially to Sprankle. And it was a fuck you to us. I'm walking your dad. I'm perp walking your dad. So you know I got him. It was a hundred percent posturing, designed to put us all into absolute panic mode, and it worked. I mean, wouldn't it? If you saw your dad perp walk from one point to the other, and again, now this sends. A cavalcade. Uh, my phone's ringing off the hook now. My mom's calling. Grandmother's calling. Understand now, we are still in a phase of plausible deniability. And that's exactly, I use that to my advantage. I'm answering these calls. Still haven't talked to Kip. Answering these calls and saying, don't have any idea what this is. They're totally fucking dead. They must have the wrong person. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense, of course. No, nobody would ever suspect that, da, 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 da. So the report is dad is suspected on insurance fraud and wanted in Massachusetts uh, for questioning. And this is what we find out from the news article. And this is what we find out when Dawn returns. Now, Dawn returns from the arraignment. And she had specific instructions not to talk to a single person. Don't talk to anybody when you go there. Don't even... <laughs> when If you go to Dunkin' Donuts and you order something, don't even talk to them. Write down your order, I said to her. Please don't talk to anybody. She got the same information that the news crew got from Detective Sprankle. Because Detective Sprankle talked to her. Whether or not Sprankle approached her or she approached him, I don't know that part of the story because I was absolutely geeked when I found this out. Dawn, I told you not to talk to anybody. I didn't. I just talked to one guy. Well, you talked to the lead, <laughs> one of the lead investigators. Idiot. And happened to give her his, the, um, give him her address. He took it down, her name and address. She didn't give her, hmm, I give her credit enough. She gave him a false address, but come on. You saved me 35 seconds for him to switch uh, the computer screen from known addresses to your current. But it was just a bad move, which basically made Dawn's now unsafe for me. Anywhere was unsafe for me. And again, I'm not trying to make it sound like any Sobolewski had the ability or knowledge to go underground at that point, because that's not the kind of criminals we were. You know, I'm thinking like, like Clint Eastwood with fake IDs and fake aliases and fake, you know, no. That was not us. We could not go underground. The best, there was a plan of me going to Littleton, New Hampshire, which is the northernest point up before you hit Canada and staying with Don's grandparents. But do you see how stupid this is? 
Here's the, here's what the cops have to do. Oh, we knew he was staying at Dawn's in Nashua. Oh, he's not there anymore? What are the other places he could be? Look up her phone records. Where did she call the day that we went there and he wasn't there? Oh, she called her grandparents in Littleton. Or two days ago, she called her parents in Littleton. Oh, you better check up there because that's probably where it is. Boom, I'm back. That's how that's how easy it is. So however smart anybody thinks there is in, in thinking they've covered their tracks, my God, it's next to impossible. It's next to impossible. So... Now I got to face the other Titan. One Titan down. And I got to tell Kev that it's likely the light's on him. And, you know, let the chips fall. I make that call. And that call was short and not sweet. Susan, I got to talk to Kev. Okay, how are things? Great. Uh, can I talk to Kev, please? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you get a grunt. At this point, Kev's grunting, not even full syllables. Hello is two syllables. I get one. And, and Kev is telegraphing his displeasure at having to hold, you know, the phone to his head right now. Couldn't be convenienced. Inconvenienced. But, you know, it was, it was a pretty important call. So I'm like, Kev, I got some bad news. Uh, Dad was arrested last night. What? Boy, now I'm getting full syllables. Boy, you know... That's the way to get Kev to enunciate. What happened? He got arrested. He was arraigned this, arraigned this morning. Why didn't you call me last night when he was arrested? Because I didn't have any information, Kev. I'm sorry. Who told you? Nancy. Fuck. What happened? Looks like they want him for insurance fraud, but they said that Massachusetts is looking for him too. It was on the news. It was on the fucking news? All right. That's it. I'm going underground. You should too. Click. That, <laughs> all right. Well, I didn't have the option of going underground. I don't even know what that means. I just told you how easy it is for the cops to find you. And I will tell you that in as much as you could hatch a plan to go underground, my brother did that. So my brother spent the next couple of days getting another living situation uh, in place that the cops wouldn't know about. And uh, because Susan worked as a waitress in a strip club, she knew other strippers and we could, you know, Kev threw this girl 500 bucks to sign a lease for him under her name with all utilities under her name so there would be absolutely no connection with Kev to this address or Susan to this address. Smart, right? But then... All the cops have to do is look at Susan and Kev's phone record and see one call to the stripper and go and question that stripper and turn her life upside down before she starts giving up the information and tell it's where Kev, where Kev was going. It turns out it didn't even have to get to that point because en route, while Kev had his shit together and, and Susan had her shit together and they were planning to go to this place and stay there, that's when they got caught. Florida State Police, Clearwater, uh, Municipal Police, and Detective Sprinkle all got together and took down Titan 2. So two Titans down. And I call them Titans because to me, I mean, look at the picture. They're huge. And they've always been Titans to me in my life. You know, not heroes, just forces I could never um, hope to overcome. Both of those men were insurmountable to me. 
in terms of ever being able to best either one. And I will tell you that at the end of this episode, my dad will... <laughs> I don't know, man. He's like a Lex goddamn Luther in this thing, man. I'm just still racking my brain over how he's even playing me in this fucking conversation you're about to hear. I'm getting played. I, I feel that way. Help me. I need your help. <laughs> God, I have nobody else to bounce this shit off of. Thank you for listening. But, Kev's going underground. And I'm, I'm a wait and see kind of guy. And so is Nancy. Nancy and I had one of those cloak and dagger conversations in a darkened parking lot right outside of Firestone in Nashua, right off of exit 7E. I walked there because it wasn't far from Don's. And I got to tell you something, guys. I don't know when Nancy started working for the police. I don't know. That phone call that she made saying your dad was arrested, Sprinkle could have been standing there. And that's not the mystery I'm presenting to you guys. I'm just saying that I don't know when she started. The conversation that I had with her was very uh, formal. What's going on with your dad? Oh, it looks like insurance robbery, but Massachusetts wants him. Oh, that's not good. Uh, Kev's going underground. Oh, that's not good either. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm just going to try to stay here at Dawn's and keep living my life until something else happens. I got to contact Bill and tell him about this. I have to contact Lawson and, and let him know. He already saw the, uh, the report on the news, so I don't know what he's doing. And, and that we'll talk about in the next episode. But the conversation that we had was, uh, you know, if she was already working with the police, she was, she had a better poker face than I can, than I give her credit for. So, again, I don't know. Now, from there, um, gonna leave you with that. Going to end this episode there because this is a lot to process. I've asked you to take in a lot of information and I want to get into the call. I want to get into the call. I'm not going to do a follow-up after the call. I'm just going to sort of present. I start the call and I I wasn't sure that post-robbery stuff, and again, are we done with robberies? No. But in terms of having my dad and do phone calls with my dad, getting details with for from him about the robberies was great and having him on but I was concerned that in this second season as we start to talk about everything falling apart I didn't know how much he was going to be able to contribute and am I shocked at this call and how succinct he delivers these details how rehearsed let me just put it that way cuz I'm going to just put it right out there it sounds to me like dad knew they were coming. And I have in my list of things that I wrote down as points in this episode is to start to talk about my perception of dad's wealth growing up. I always thought my dad was rich. Why did I think that? He always had nice cars. He worked really hard. Wentworth School of Technology. He sold, he was an electronic salesman. But let me tell you what that meant. When you hear me say that, what do you think? Radio Shack? He sold... (laughs) you know, circuits to nerds when they come in and they wanted to boost the memory in their computer? No. He sold the very first versions of computer software. And he did it for a company that was ahead of its time. He was a sales shark. He made them a ton of money and in turn made tons of commission afterwards. Now, 
as we continue to create a psychological profile of a criminal in general, but of my dad throughout this whole thing, I'm going to ask you what you know of my dad, knowing that his mom grew up during the Depression, that that woman would save... This was a good impression of my grandmother would be. If you went out and you said, I'm going to go buy... A, can I have money for a candy bar, Grandma? And she gives you a dollar. Say, look, candy bar is 25 cents. And you come back and hand her 65 cents because you paid 35 cents to get the king-size Snickers. <gasps> Ooh, fancy pants, man. Look who has the money for a king-size Snickers. That's my grandmother. She would she she was so sweet, but I'll tell you that when you made a decision financially that she didn't agree with, you were a fucking idiot. So again, as I was discovering more about my dad through watching his life fall apart, the foreclosure on his house, I had to go to his bank and clean out his checking and his savings account. Now, my grandmother had five different savings accounts before she died, and maybe more than that, all with varying amounts of money in them. Why she separated them and kept one account for this and one account for that, I don't know, but all totaling about a hundred grand in cash. Let's just say that. That's Those are books that I saw. Multiple accounts spread out Save, 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 save. It, it was always, I was always of the mind that my dad was the same person and it only makes sense that he was. So I was shocked to find there was no money in his checking account and his savings account prior to him getting arrested. Does something sound fishy to you guys too? $15,000, the exact amount of money that he was going to need for his lawyer in New Hampshire. couple scant pieces of jewelry that, uh, question mark, don't know if you can tie them to anything. And another point I want to make here is, when we're talking about the money that we have accumulated and people getting shares, my brother and I didn't get lump sums of anything. There was a pool that my dad controlled. And we always drew from this pool. Dad, I need $1,000. Okay. And he wrote it down. And he had this, he had a, one of the other things I was worried about the cops finding in this safe was my dad had a running total of what he paid out to me and Kev. In that total was not Kev's rent and everything that he had to send Kev for his living expenses. Dad didn't pay mine. I worked. And I didn't really take a lot of robbery money post uh, me starting to work and me not wanting to be in the robberies. I just want to give you a sense that there weren't large payouts to me and Kev where I had a shitload of money and Kev had a shitload of money and Dad had his share. We had a pool. So it was, I thought that that money was being put somewhere that when all this transpired, if I, if I breathed any sigh of relief that we were going to be okay or at least be able to pay for lawyers, I was like, well, there's plenty of money. We've been stealing it for five years. There was none. Did something not add up? Did my dad know they were coming? Well, I mean, it's there's 18 episodes that show you, that, and the composite drawing is episode like 10, where that composite drawing went out. <laughs> I'm going to proffer this. What if at that point, dad panicked and said, I'm, I got to prepare? 
What if he set up a golden parachute? He knew this was all coming, cleared out his accounts, put everything somewhere where he knew the cops couldn't find it. This is what I have uncovered and this is what this episode has brought to light in my mind and why in season two, episode two, I am asking for your help because as we move forward, I'm going to continually try to answer this question. Can I ask him outright? He'll say no. He'll say no. But listen to this call, guys. This call, just of all the calls you have heard, he just sounds so sure of this particular point in his life that he can deliver this information because maybe it's rehearsed. Maybe it's rehearsed. And that's where I'm going to leave it for you guys. I'm going to leave it there because... Um, whew, I have it down to 36 minutes, and I'm not trying to follow a specific time, but in the couple of times I've recorded this episode, I've gone up to gone up to an hour. Again, I am racking my brain trying to figure out this other option because if it is true, if he knew they were coming and he set himself up to put everything aside where nobody knew it would be, no one, even the 12 years he spent in prison, it would just sit there. Which sounds, which sounds more like the dad you know and the dad I know from the 18 episodes you've listened to prior, from his own voice? What sounds more likely? That he was a paycheck-to-paycheck kind of guy, living it up, or this was a calculated guy who knew? I'm going to leave that up to you guys. I don't know if we're one step closer to figuring out if crime does pay, but boy, I think we got more questions than we're going to answer. It's going to be just so fun working this out with you in season two. I can't wait to bring you the next episode. Please, uh, please check out any of the social media sites. Tell your friends. I really want to keep growing this. I'm having a blast. I hope you are too. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Bye-bye guys. Enjoy this call. Have you, uh, seen the show all that glitters? It sounds familiar. Tell me about it. It's probably 10 jewelers. And they're all in England. They're professional jewelers. They're all on a bench, and they're all given a challenge. No, I never saw that. To make a specific piece of jewelry for um, – it's, it's a one-off piece. Yeah. So it's for – they'll bring in a person that – so the last episode, they did a woman that's in the military, and she had a kid, and the dad's staying home while she's deployed, and they wanted to do a pendant for her. So all the – jewels will get together and they'll bang out this thing in silver so so far they've they've worked with silver they've done a couple of uh like gold inlays into the silver but nothing with anything precious yet but okay. it's, a, it's a really cool show i'll uh, i'll see if i can get hold of it because uh right now they're working with enamel and it's like they just sprinkle the dust on it and then they put it in a kiln but if they if it goes past 900 you you would love it that because it's all the technical thank shit you. that thank you it's pretty cool. It's on uh, HBO Max, but I don't. I don't have that. All I have is the internet, and I get YouTube and a few other things. Yeah, you might be able to get clips or maybe even episodes of it on on YouTube. But uh, okay. check it yeah, out. I, I would like that. Thank you. Um, what do you remember about uh, a night you were arrested? <sighs> a lot. <laughs> I uh, I was going out for Chinese food. Nancy was coming over. And uh, I'm driving. I went the back way, doing about 25, 30 miles an hour. And this damn car comes up behind me. So I sped up a little bit, and it sped up. 
So I just kept driving. All of a sudden, the blue lights went on. They pulled me over. And uh, I thought they were getting me for speeding or a stop sign or whatnot. They asked me to come out of the car. asked me if I had any weapons, handcuffed me, put me in the cruise. And I said, what the hell is this all about? He says, we don't know. We just were told to pick you up. So I went to the station. Sprankel came in. And I uh, started talking about jewelry. So I said, what the fuck are you talking about? I says, uh, I sell electronic testicles. And they kept talking and talking. And uh, that was it. Do you, do you specifically remember what they were asking? They asked me if I knew an Ernestine Anderson. I says, uh, name just doesn't ring a bell. I'm sorry. And uh, they uh, said that I was uh, identified as doing a robbery in a shopping center, which I never heard about. So I says, no, that's a mistake. And that was pretty much that it. wasn't the, that wasn't the first one, the guy, the security the, guard one. That was the first one. But I, uh, I said, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I don't even know where this mall is. He says, it's right, an right. exit seven. I says, no shit. I never knew the name of that mall. <laughs> so you were playing with them a little. Yeah. How, geez, how did you know how to go into that mode? Uh, I guess uh, self-defense, Brian. Yeah, well, why didn't you teach it to me, man? Of all the things, instead of throwing a ball, teach me how to talk to a detective. <laughs> well, I didn't think I Seriously. Did <laughs> we need real-world skills out here for they our were kids. Really get, they were getting very frustrated, so they brought in another guy, and they brought in a state police uh, female officer. And they said, that, well, this happened, and this happened, and everybody's pointing to you. I said, what the Christ you're talking about? It's an electronic test. They said, put me back in the fucking cell. So you didn't lawyer up right away? No. And so when did you lawyer up? At the point? I didn't. You lawyered you still up. still did. You were the lawyer. Yeah. Do you remember his name? No, but he had an ego bigger than Oklahoma. Uh, no, I well, yeah, I remember him. Cause, uh, he was expensive, man. He wanted six grand cash just to go up and talk to you. You know what he did for me? What? Shit. You're kidding. He did shit for me. He was telling me how he was connected. All I needed was a public defender, Brian, but it was too late by then. Uh, uh, I would have copped a plea at that time just to get down to Massachusetts. Right, just to get out of New Hampshire because New yeah. Hampshire was a waste. What, were you, what charges were you facing in New Hampshire? The insurance? Insurance and robbery. What about the van? Did they charge you for grand theft for that? No. No? I was not. Uh, they did not accuse me of that crime at that point because that was a Rhode Island crime. And for some reason, that was such a small part of it. I guess they didn't want to bother. No kidding. Yeah. So New Hampshire could have tagged you with Grand Theft Auto. Yep. And what? Carjacking, basically, right? No. He was not in the car. Wow. So is that a, is that a part of the law? i got to look up the law to see whether or not you have to be in the damn the car. I stole the car. Well, Bill, Bill Lawson stole the car. I didn't have anything to do with it. The, the van. You, I'm talking yeah, about the, the van, van that... The the paper kit. Yeah. Lawson stole it? it? Yep. <laughs> he just needed to show up with a van? No, I told him where to go, how to do it, and he did it. And oh, then okay. he gave it to Nancy's and put it in her garage. My, that that guy would do anything. Well, he had to do something because he sure steered us wrong on a few of the jobs, Brian. A few, Dad. I just, I just finished season one. There's 18 episodes. Six of them are an hour and a half long, wow. and and of the eighteen episodes, I gotta tell you, about half of the robberies got a shit. Yeah, out of twenty-two, half of them. 
that's when I confronted William and told him, I says, you've got to find us something that's worthwhile. I says, go count your money. He says, oh, yeah, we're doing good. He says, go count your money. And he says, Jesus Christ, there's nothing in there. Um, so I, all along, I've been sitting here thinking that I was the Fredo of the whole situation. but it no, was still. I was the Fredo. All right. See, now I feel a little bit better. You should. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Kev was sunny. Just the hothead. Yep. And uh, I'm not, not going to take Michael Stripes, but I'm somewhere in there. But the one that got me was Rockport. One wrote in. Oh, right, right. Well, listen, you could pull that type of thing off, Dad, if you went right to the water, no? If you went from the robbery to the water on a boat, float down to a car that's half a mile away, and no one knows where the hell you just went. Well, yeah, but uh, that would have been a very – what the hell was I going to get about? Well, I mean, if you were going to put, if the if the if the job was worth it, now a little tiny jewelry shop no. in Rockport, Massachusetts, no. But if we're talking yeah. about the jewelers building, well, yeah, but that's a whole different ball game. That store in Rockport had tourist jewelry, lot of silver. But would you have hit that store that you went into with Bun to look at that champagne, whatever it is that Rachel liked, that champagne sapphire? I didn't really look around the store, Brian. I went right to the champagne. Let me tell you, it was classically set up where he put most of the, um, you know, cheaper stuff in the front cases, and you had to walk to the back of the store to get to where any ring of significance was. Yeah. And it was that would it would have been a decent haul if you could take the whole thing out. But those cases were so hard to smash, man. It's not just broken glass. Oh, that no. that plastic in the middle that they put, you know, slam and slam, and then you just get a little hole, and then you're going to rip the shit out of your hand reaching in there. I was watching YouTube, and they showed this new glass that they use for shields and all for the police. Yep. It took 50 rounds before that glass cracked. Yep. It's insane, it, some of these resins that they have now. Um, and I'll tell you, it absolutely it, it boggles my mind when I see somebody go through a window in the movies because nobody, people don't survive that. Hell yes. You, know, you don't come back, man. I preferred the couriers. That was easy. Right. But I, it was always too much of an open situation to take them out. Not really. We, you know, the storefronts worked. Yeah, but those, how often could you find those? Uh, that, that's rare. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and, and could you find that now? No, there are very few on the road now, Brian. And the ones that are on the road are carrying live goods, all right. models. Everything's gone to the yeah, interwebs. Yeah, it is. It's, it's not worth it. All right. So from um, what? when you were uh, – you spent one night in Nashua Jail, and what, they shipped yeah. up to Valley Street? Yeah. All right. That's good. That's all I need. Perfect. Uh, but in the paper, it said there was a high-speed chase. It was 35 miles an hour. You're kidding me. No. Nope. I got to find that article. I looked for all the articles. I don't know where the hell I would go now for the Sun-Times, but I got to find that article, high-speed chase. Because I, I remember – I'm going to save this little story, but I do remember my article, and two guys were reading the article. And it was so funny because when, when an inmate reads that article or somebody already locked up, they'll tell you exactly what happened. Oh, no, you weren't high-speed chasing. They were just pissed off that you didn't high-speed chase. 
So, all right, that's all I need. Thank you. Did I tell you the one where we were approached to rob the store so the guy could get insurance? I think that was in a, in another call, but what stopped him? What or what stopped us? Well, it was all set up for say two weeks from the Friday. All set up. Uh, he was going to. Uh, he Bill was going to go in, and they were going to split the jewelry up. So be ready to go. Week before we were supposed to do it, two guys came in and robbed it. Oh yeah, I remember you did tell me about this. Yeah. And was he pissed? <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> but he still got insurance, right? He got insurance money, yeah. But he could have done a lot better with us. He would have got one and a half that time. Yeah. You know, shit. Yeah, well, that was a, really, we were really a better good. deal. We were a better deal for Woody. Woody would have got we, shot in the we, head. We, if it was we, quoted a, we quoted a higher price. That's what it was. Our quote was better. Yeah, I bet. And we were approached by the low police, Billy and I, to open up a pawn shop. Why? Because the guy that ran the pawn shop in Lowell, the police hated him for some reason, and I don't know why. And they wanted, they were going to, there was some plan to put him out of business and for us to take over. How did they approach you? They approached Lawson. And they said, we want you to take over the pawn shop. Would you be interested in running a pawn shop? He says, yeah, where? He says, Lowell. He says, well, you already got a pawn shop. He says, yeah, but he's going out of business, so we're going to see to that. Oh, my God, what a front that would have been for us. Oh, the money, Brian. You know, uh, when I was down in Florida, uh, Nancy says, how much do you think you're going to get for that ring? It was a half-carat stone. I'd say retail, seven fifty. dollars I'd say, I don't know, not much. She says, I bet you get 500 I says, I bet you dinner without even getting close to that. 100 bucks they offered me. Wow. They'd flip that for 250 to a dealer in one day. Easily. Easily. And as gold was going up right now, uh, Billy in, in Melrose is hoarding gold and silver because he expects it to hit 3000 an ounce. So they're not selling. They buy it. Interesting. It is. Cool. Can you imagine? That That, that would have been the coolest show ever, the Sobolewski Pawn Shop show. No, we would have had it. Yeah, I'll give you a smack in the face for it. <laughs> yeah, you come yeah, in here insulting me with this. <laughs> Well, you know how he made his money? All the hookers, the street walkers in Lowell would rip the gold chains off their johns and the watches. There's not, there's not a single legitimate piece of jewelry in a pawn shop anywhere in America right now. Give me yeah. a break. And, you know, if, if if you know how to do it, you don't ask for identification. You know, you can sell that anywhere, Brian. I know, but then if, 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 if that's a sting, if that's a cop coming in there to see whether or not you ask for identification, guess what? Your pawn shop's over. I know that, so you got to be careful. But these women are known, these hookers and the pimps. They're oh, known. good. <laughs> what do you think about so, elbows with CEOs? Who, me? No, I mean, if we had a pawn shop, what the hell do you think comes into those places? i got to tell you something. I do rub elbows with CEOs, and none of them are any better than a pawn shop dealer. I can tell you that. And let me tell you, it's easy to keep the cops at bay because all you got to do is save a couple of bracelets for them give them to their girlfriends. and they're, they're yeah, Keep safe. in mind, you just told a story about how the cop said you had a high speed. <laughs> doesn't doesn't sound like they can stay away for very long. <laughs> Bastards. But, well, it may have been the uh, newspapers that embellished that, not the cops. Now, I remember giving you five grand that day, and that was on you, correct? No, it was in the safe. All right, but you had a significant amount of cash. That I, had about, I had 300 bucks on me when they arrested me. And what else did you have that wasn't recovered? Do you remember? 
uh, I had some jewelry in the car. I got to tell you, this is what I remember. I remember handing you that five grand. And I remember looking and asking the cop for it because I knew you had it and I knew it wasn't in safe. I thought you had it on you. No, no, no. It had to be in the safe. It's probably a 10 or 15, whatever was in there. Oh. Because I never well, told you. That was fun to hold the 10 minutes I had it in my hand before I had to hand it to that lawyer. After we did Jacob that first time and that Billy went out. And I think he sold eight grand worth of diamonds, came back and handed me $4,000. That stack of hundreds looks so beautiful. That's oh. looking women I've ever seen. Oh. <clears throat> well, there you go. There you have it. The reason why we all did time. Yep. <laughs> all right. I got to go have lunch. Oh, enjoy. I will, uh, I will talk to you very soon. Okay, bye. Take care, sir. Bye-bye. Bye, Dad.